0: Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. One of the president's ride-or-die defenders is legal advisor Jenna Ellis. It's
1: such a political prosecution and a political persecution. Quote. This to me is a clear violation of the Fourth Amendment. It's revisionist originalism. Tolerance just isn't a two-way street with the Democrats. And I think that tells you all we
0: need to know.
2: Newsmax contributor and former legal counsel to President Trump. Jenna Ellis.
0: But when we come back, our very first
3: bill will repeal the funding for 87,000 new items.
4: You see,
1: we believe government should be to help you, not go after you. And that was Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy. And that was uh, his first speech from the congressional floor. And he made good on that promise. In fact, he tweeted promises made promises kept. We all know where that is from. Good morning. I'm Jenna Ellis. You're listening to Jenna Ellis in the morning. And the big news out of Washington today is that Speaker McCarthy passes the new rules package for Congress that had been negotiated by the 20 members who initially objected and said that they wouldn't vote for Kevin McCarthy. And they negotiated some great rules package. And uh, Congressman Chip Roy out of Texas will join us uh, hopefully soon here. And he is ready, I'm being told, which is great. And so those 20 uh, have negotiated that package. And um, this new rules package was, in fact, voted on, which is a huge success. And then the first Uh, item of business was that all republicans which is shocking to me actually unanimously when is the last time we had unanimous republicans unanimously passed a bill that would defund the 87,000 irs agents so let's get to congressman chip Roy. so good morning sir thank you so much for joining me on jenna ellis in the morning
5: good morning jenna thanks for having me on hope you are doing well
1: yeah, thank you. And thank you so much for your hard work out of Washington. So, you know, this uh, this rules package was strongly negotiated and uh, it actually passed. And now with this new bill of defunding the 87,000 IRS agents, uh, where do we stand and how hopeful are you that Speaker McCarthy will actually adhere to what he has promised the 20?
5: Well, first of all, I, I do want to talk about this in the context of the uh, there's kind of two different things to it. There's the rules package, which we've been working kind of furiously to get over the last 60 days almost, to transform the way Congress works, right? We're all tired of these great big bills that are, have all this stuff piled on it. They get in the last minute. We don't have time to read them. They're not single subject. They're multi-subject, all these things. And importantly, we wanted to make sure that we could still hold the Speaker accountable in the same way the rules have allowed for since basically Thomas Jefferson, okay, for like 200 years. And that's true no matter who's in the Speaker's chair, okay? We just wanted to return the power to the rank-and-file members. Well, it took a while to get there. It took a bunch of back and forth. Uh, We had some agreement even two weeks ago, but we didn't have final agreement on those things. We got there. But the accountability piece was the important piece. That's the question you just asked. Will Speaker McCarthy adhere to those rules? Well, we ultimately got the single-person ability to vacate the chair as a – as an ability to hold accountability. We don't want to use it. We want to all just march forward together and go pound the Democrats into submission for their lunacy policies. um, But so we got that. Now, the second part that we got that took the hardest work all the way up through the end was agreements, you know, uh, handshake, looking someone in the eye and coming up with what we think we ought to do to change and transform the way we spend money. We got an agreement not to offer amendments. uh, I'm sorry, the ability to offer amendments on the floor to cut spending during appropriations, open up the process, allow us to go to the floor and say, no, 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 you've got an appropriations bill that spends money. I want to cut that funding to the World Health Organization, or I want to cut that money to the U.N., or I want to cut that, you know, Planned Parenthood funding, or I want to cut that woke bureaucracy.
0: All of those things sound great.
5: Right. So let's go force the fight. And so we got that, and we got an agreement to cap spending at 22 levels. Now, what does that mean? Well, it'd be about $140 billion cut. And i say, oh, my God, that's going to cut defense. No, we said no such thing. I want our defense to be strong. You want our defense to be strong. Every Republican wants our defense to be strong. But we don't want is for defense to be used as an excuse to keep spending money we don't have. We have to do what every American family does, sit down at the table and make tough choices. You want to fund Ukraine? All right, let's get down and get busy figuring out how we're going to do it. Stop writing blank checks. So, that's what we got. We got some serious changes. And the final thing we got was the Church Commission style uh, weaponization of government committee. And that is giving Jim Jordan and a bunch of good guys power to go rip apart and focus on all of the weaponization of government against the American people. So it was a good, good week. Now we're ready to lock arms. We passed the rules package last night. And let's go, uh, you know, do our job.
1: Great. And so one of the, the pushbacks that I've been hearing from some of the dissenters who aren't a fan of this uh, one member vote of no confidence is that they're concerned that the Democrats could weaponize that and one Democrat could essentially hold up legislation and use that as a pretext to simply not allow Republican measures to get through. How concerned are you with that possibility?
5: Well, look, if you're talking about the, the single-person motion to vacate and the ability of a Democrat to use that, every Republican will unite against a Democrat that's trying to hold things up. And by the way, we can change the rule at any time. And with all due respect, Hakeem Jeffries knows that, right? He He's not going to let a Democrat go down and try to just play games uh, because some Democrat wants to vacate the chair. We'll kill that. We'll come together as Republicans and kill that. And if any Republican starts playing games with it, you can't do it because you've got to have a block of Republicans to go down and say, "Hold on, why are we doing this? This is much ado about nothing at the end of the end of the day. I'm almost certain we will never use that vacate the chair tool, but it is a tool that you have it's like having weapons in your home that you want to use in the, you know an emergency and that you never hope to have to use like that's that's the thing and so we'll 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 figure all that out, but at the end of the day right now we're united and uh I think there's – look, I think this is a really good position that we're in as Republicans. You, you, You wrestle through this. The American people got to see debate. They got to see why this matters. We sucked them into it. They get now what we're trying to fight to change this place. And now Republicans are having to kind of rally around the idea that this place should be open and we should get busy doing our work.
1: And I'm talking with Congressman Chip Roy out of Texas, who has been at the forefront of actually implementing change in Washington and fighting for the rights of the people and actually the base and people that uh, you all allegedly represent. So this is a great thing. And so, Congressman, let's talk about the uh, IRS defunding bill and uh, how that does need Senate approval. And so what is the expectation with this bill, and and what can the American people genuinely expect from it in a divided Congress?
5: Well, you want the good news or the bad news? <laughs> Let's do the both. Bad news is, okay. The bad news is they can expect almost nothing out of any good bills that we pass and send to the Senate. Look, that's the world we're in. Chuck Schumer is not going to pass a bill, and Joe Biden is not going to pass or sign a bill that un- undoes a good chunk of a major piece of legislation they passed last August, the so-called Inflation Reduction Act. He's not going to sign that bill for us to undo the hiring of 87,000 IRS agents. However, you pass the bill and you send it over. Now we message it. We say, whose side do you want? Do you want to hire more bureaucrats to go after the American people? Or do you want to get busy doing the work of the American people and make sure that we're not targeting them? Then what happens is when we get to the spending fight next September, we tell the IRS guys, you're not getting this amount of money in your regular annual budget because you've got all this other money that they gave you to hire agents. So we can have that fight. This is why I'm so mad at the 18 Republican senators who sided with Democrats in December to take away the House's, the House of Representatives' leverage to use the spending leverage to fight to get those things. Because so that's the only leverage we have, Jenna. And those 18 Republican senators, okay, I want everybody to understand that. And a couple of those guys are my friends, but they made the wrong call. They blinked because they freaked out about defense spending. And as a result, we don't have the power to force accountability on the IRS question or the border, for example. Like, if we were having our fight on spending in February, if we passed a three-month continuing resolution – we could be having a real discussion now about what my orcas would have to do at the border. But now we can't do that until basically September. So we'll do our job. We'll do oversight. We'll go, you know, highlight all the failures of this administration. And then we'll get busy trying to build a package over the year that we can try to force uh, changes through the spending power of the purse by September.
1: Well, you know, and it sounds like uh, McConnell is not doing his job for the American people, which is no surprise. And so how, what, if anything, has McCarthy said about trying to work with Mitch McConnell to uh, get some of those other senators on board, even though obviously we don't have the majority in the Senate, but um, this really seems like it's a Mitch McConnell problem more than a McCarthy problem.
5: Well, I think that's correct. I mean, what I would say is that there are ways that you try to leverage your power in the House to force the Senate to act, right? And we we, we need uh, Speaker McCarthy to do that, right? Because the Senate has been basically pushing around the House for a while now. So we've been having conversations about ways that we can try to stick it to the Senate when they don't do their job and make them come to the table. And, you know, I, I, I look, I've got of respect for some of the things that Mitch McConnell's done over the years in terms of holding the line on the Supreme Court, uh, some of his First Amendment challenges. But at, the, at his heart, he's an appropriator. He doesn't mind spending money we don't have. He doesn't mind working with someone like Richard Shelby on his way out to cut deals to get a whole bunch of spending and pork and 7,500 earmarks to spend $16 billion. They, that just doesn't bother him. That's a problem. And we need all of the Republican senators to feel the heat from the American people uh, the 18 Republican senators who did that. And then we House members, and led by Speaker McCarthy, need to tell them, You're not, it's a new day in town. You're not going to get to do that anymore. We're going to go to the American people. We're going to use the American people to browbeat you into doing your job. And, uh, you know, I think, I think we're going to have some success there. I can promise you, I know personally, that there's a handful of those senators that are feeling the heat. And I'll just tell all the American people out there, don't let up let, every single day. Let them know that you want them to change.
1: And I'm talking with Congressman Chip Roy out of Texas, and I think everyone listening is very excited with that attitude and saying let's hold their feet to the fire finally and not just be servants of the establishment and the status quo in Washington. We need people like you to change things up on the Hill. And so in just the last few minutes I have with you, Congressman, and thank you so much for the work that you are doing, Um, what do you actually expect from this weaponization of government committee and will we get accountability from, uh, Dr. Fauci and from big tech and all of these things that a lot of the Republican base have been so frustrated with, with the censorship and everything else going on over the last two plus years?
5: Well, um, that is something that I'm the most excited about, um, Jim Jordan is uniquely situated to lead that effort. Uh, the Judiciary Committee has a good chunk of the powers to do that, but we expanded those powers by in, by adding the select committee that's a subcommittee of Judiciary that will give us more reach, more jurisdictional strength to be able to go after intel and some of the um, the, the entirety of the, the, the federal bureaucracy. So I think we're going to be able to do a lot to expose that. We gonna have to be patient because you've got to go through the work. you got to You know, issue subpoenas. You got to, you know, conduct depositions. You got to go get people who will speak. You got to then leverage the power of the purse to force them to come to the table. Uh, We've got a recalcitrant, stubborn, uh, frankly, tyrannical uh, executive branch. And frankly, that's something that predated uh, the Biden administration. We had folks in the Trump administration who were fighting back against everything Trump and, and a lot of the good leaders were doing. My good friend Rick Perry, the head of the Secretary of Energy, I remember talking to him because I worked for him. People in the energy department deep-sixing things and not letting him know what's going on. There's, there's all sorts of bureaucrats up there who have no interest in fighting for the American people. They're fighting for the swamp. So we've got to unearth that, shine a light on it, start ripping it apart, start firing some cutting some of their spending, but it's time for us to get busy standing up and fighting for the American people, this Weaponization of Government uh, Committee, uh, which, by the way, It's it's weaponization of the federal government, which which the acronym is WTF, which seems pretty appropriate.
1: (laughs) That's a great note to end on. Congressman Chip Roy, thank you so much for fighting in Washington. Um, Someone with a backbone who's actually standing firm. Uh, We respect you. We will all be praying for you. And, you know, one of the things that I hope is that eventually we will pass not only term limits, for elected officials, but also in the federal bureaucracy. And that's something we should talk about on this program in the context of the Convention of States project, which is very controversial, but uh, something that I think could be great for America. So that was Congressman Chip Roy. Thank you, sir, for your time this morning. You're listening to Jenna Ellis in the morning. We'll be right back with some of your top headlines.
0: Let's see, if something costs less, but people are happier with it, that sounds like something to look into, and that's MetaShare. Maybe you've heard switching to Metashare to pay for healthcare can save the typical family five hundred bucks a month. And that's huge. But it's also true that people are way more satisfied after making the switch, too. The customer satisfaction rate for Metashare is double that of the typical health insurance plan. Double. 83344 Bible that's 83344 Bible 83344 Bible
2: Will you help us send persecuted Christians around the world exactly what they're praying for? And that's a Bible, to be able to endure and persevere. Hey, it's Michael Woolworth with Bible League International. It wasn't too long ago that I was in Indonesia, the largest Muslim-majority country in the world, where a local evangelical church was introducing Muslims to Jesus Christ. They want people not to just go to church, but to really understand who Jesus is. That's why they started to go from house to house, door to door. They lovingly shared the gospel but this happened. Because they didn't like it they started to throw bombs to the church. People threatened to kill them. But persecuted believers, they love their enemies and they count it all joy to suffer for the Lord Jesus. They didn't give up because they know that God will be there for them. Help us bless persecuted believers with their very own copy of the Bible by the end of January at $5 a Bible, $100 Sins 20. Call 800 YES WORD. 800 YES WORD or give at sendbiblesnow.org. Send and Biblesnow.org.
4: Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starnes. Stand by for news and commentary next no matter your career goals you want to find a university that provides excellent academics and state-of-the-art facilities at a price you can afford at liberty university they believe a quality christian education should be available to everyone that's why they've frozen their tuition rates through the 2021-2022 academic year and offer multiple scholarships like the middle america scholarship to bring that price point even lower Learn more by texting STARNS to the number 49596. For two days in May of 2020, hundreds of rioters stormed the White House. A guard shack was set on fire. Rocks, bottles, fireworks hurled at police guarding the home of the president. More than 60 Secret Service agents were injured that day, some seriously. But the would-be insurrectionists did not breach the White House gates the People's House was not pillaged or plundered. That's because, unlike the U.S. Capitol building, the White House was heavily fortified that day. So let's be clear. The U.S. Capitol was allowed to be breached on January the 6th. Capitol Police officers were told to stand down. Video shows officers moving aside barricades, allowing people to access the building unobstructed. So why did Congress ignore President Trump's suggestion to call up 10,000 National Guard troops? Who gave the order not to fortify the Capitol building? Who gave the orders for Capitol Police to stand down? Those are questions that deserve answers. I'm Todd Starnes.
0: Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio.
1: Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning. I'm Jenna Ellis with some of your top headlines now this morning. Good morning. I hope you're having a wonderful Tuesday. Uh, the sad headline this morning is that our good friend Diamond of Diamond and Silk passed away unexpectedly last night. And uh, President Trump, of course, gave tribute uh, to her on True Social uh, saying that our magnificent Diamond has passed. Uh, and I have been uh, so overwhelmed just seeing all of the photos and the tribute To her, all over social media. I was privileged to know Diamond and Silk personally um, through a number of events, of course, my work with President Trump. And the good news with this, if there is, of course, a silver lining in the Christian life and how we grieve. It's that the Bible tells us in First Thessalonians 4 that we do not grieve as those who have no hope. And when the Apostle Paul is talking about uh, those of the brethren who sleep, who have uh, passed away, Um, He tells us that we have hope of eternal life in Christ. And so we know that Diamond did profess uh, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as her personal Lord and Savior. And so we know that we will see her again in eternity. And please be keeping Silk in your prayers and uh, the whole family. Um, This is something, of course, that when it's unexpected or even if it is expected, when you lose a family member, um, it's just a really difficult time. And I was uh, speaking with my my good friend, Mike Lindell, who of course uh, has Diamond and Silk on uh, his TV network, Frank Speech. And he was saying that he was able to pray with Silk uh, last night and a lot of people have reached out to her. So I know that she is feeling all of the love from everyone uh, this morning. And if you would like to um, go and either uh, give a tribute or, Uh, support the family. You can, of course, go to at Diamond and Silk on all social media, including uh, Twitter, Facebook, uh, Truth Social, all of those, and leave a message of support and encouragement uh, to Silk and the family. So all of our love is with her. Uh, the other headline out of the Supreme Court yesterday is that the lawsuit uh, Brunson versus Adams, which some of you who listen to this program have asked me about, uh, argued that lawmakers had violated their oaths of office by allegedly failing to investigate the foreign election interference that the allegedly rigged uh, the election against former President Donald Trump. So of course, uh, the headline from Newsweek always uses the term allegedly. Uh, but that lawsuit Brunson versus Adams was declined to be considered by the Supreme Court. Uh, they did not issue a reason. They simply uh, declined to accept that case for hearing. And so the plaintiff on the Supreme Court uh, petition claimed that the fraud invalidated his vote for Trump in 2020 when he cast his ballot in Utah. The case was previously dismissed by lower courts for reasons such as lack of jurisdiction. So my take on this is that the Supreme Court did make the right decision. So I know that a lot of people have questions about election integrity, are very frustrated with Uh, the process that didn't happen, but this particular lawsuit to ask for a remedy that the members of Congress who exercised their constitutional power by voting to certify the electors in Congress in January of 2021, uh, the remedy that he's suggesting is that those members of Congress would be expelled by the Supreme Court and not eligible to hold public office in the future. So this case is something that falls under what we uh, call in law non-justicability. So the Supreme Court doesn't have the constitutional power to adjudicate or arbitrate every dispute, only what is legally categorized as a justiciable issue. So what justiciability means is that it concerns the limits on the judicial branch to exercise its authority over a matter. So, in this instance, the court system does not have the power or authority to determine whether a member of Congress is sufficiently exercising legislative oversight. Uh, and similarly, similarly, the judiciary doesn't have the power or authority to determine whether a president or a member of the executive branch is exercising sufficient executive authority. There is no constitutional requirement as a matter of law that members of Congress must conduct certain investigations or oversight. That is a matter of policy and it's discretionary. So whether or not Congress should investigate a matter or or failed to investigate a matter is a political question and not one appropriate for the judiciary. And so if we are truly conservatives and we are conserving our rule of law, we are reasonable and we are concerned about precedent, we would no more want to advocate for the Supreme Court to determine the sufficiency of whether or not a member of Congress did a good job or did the proper or appropriate investigations in this context any more than we would want the Supreme Court to determine that for Republican legislators and Republican members of Congress and the executive. So, for example, we would not want a future uh, Democrat to come back and say, well, all of the Republican members of Congress should be expelled because they failed to conduct investigations and oversight into Donald Trump and into his taxes or into you know any other things in his administration, and therefore should be expelled. That's not the role of the judiciary. Those are political policy questions. So uh, remember what we've talked about on this show um, g- quite a few times, actually, even in the last week and a half, is that the constitutional distinction between what can be done or is authorized versus what should be done is the difference between uh, the, the sufficient constitutional question versus a political or policy question. So the Supreme Court generally will only answer questions of whether or not a, a member of the government or a government actor can exercise their authority is the action constitutional? Do they have the power under the Constitution versus the political question or the policy question of whether or not they should? So I understand that many Americans are frustrated with Congress for its lack of oversight and investigation into the 2020 presidential election. Believe me, I have at great personal risk uh, defended and and, And advocated for election integrity in this country. However, the proper remedy is not for the judiciary to determine to expel members based on political policy determinations. And so the obvious reason for that is we would not want the judiciary to be further weaponized and utilize the court system in a political manner. This is exactly what the political question doctrine and the entire notion of just disability is designed to avoid. So the remedy here is for the people to vote out members whose legislative actions they disagree with. That's expelling them at the ballot box. I don't want the nine members of the Supreme Court to tell me whether or not my members of Congress are doing what they should. I want them to fulfill the constitutional role of the judiciary and only restrain the two political branches, the legislative and the executive, from overstepping and overreaching and exercising powers that are not given in the U.S. Constitution. And one of the roles that Congress, of course, does have is oversight. But whether or not they choose to exercise that function in any given instance is up for Congress to determine. So the best way that we can move forward on election integrity is not by championing lawsuits that ultimately would have a very bad precedent. You always have to consider in what other context could this be used against us? Could this be used to um, manipulate the rule of law? Is this constitutional? Is this the process. I will never advocate for something that goes outside the bounds of the U.S. Constitution because I am always concerned about precedent and I'm always concerned about conserving our rule of law. And so many people who ask me about election integrity, while very, very well meaning, and I know your heart is in the right place, a lot of people are advocating for solutions and remedies that are not within the context of the U.S. Constitution. And if we are reasonable, And if we are truly conservatives, we won't advocate to tear down the U.S. Constitution because then we're only helping the Democrats. That's what they want to do anyway. And if we don't have any rules that anyone is abiding by, then it becomes the wild, wild West and the Democrats are getting what they want. So we have to adhere to the U.S. Constitution. I'm very grateful that our Supreme Court has a conservative majority by and large. I mean, there are definitely still things that I disagree with them on, but those are minimal, uh, especially compared to when the Democrat activist majority was in place. And this current Supreme Court very wisely and constitutionally declined to hear this case. And so what concerns me as an American, as a conservative, as a constitutionalist, as a Christian, is seeing people who are very excited and promoting outcomes that are not constitutional and the pushback is well you just don't care about election integrity or well you know the democrats aren't following the rules so why should we those are all excuses those are all reasons that are not based and founded in a rule of law but in our outcome driven preference that is activism And I don't want a judiciary to function as an activist majority, even if it's activism that suits my preferred outcomes. We as conservatives should not just win all the time and get whatever we want. We win when our branches of government, especially and particularly the judiciary, operate to function by keeping the two political branches in check, but that they do not also overreach and they are not a check and balance on the two political branches that would override and overextend their own authority given by the Constitution. So this is why it is very incumbent upon all of us to know what the U.S. Constitution says What the mandate is under the declaration, which, of course, the worldview statement in the declaration is that the purpose of government is to preserve and protect our God-given rights. We have to start there and understand that the U.S. Constitution was made and ratified solely as the best form of government that our founders believed would fulfill that mandate to preserve and protect our rights. So in their wisdom, they separated powers, they limited powers. And so Congress, the executive, and the judiciary cannot function by arbitrarily determining what they prefer, and in the context of the judiciary, the preferred outcomes. Judicial activism is never a good thing we always want government to be limited and even though there are things that i wish sometimes the government could do i'm glad when there are people in power in the majority or in the white house or the majority of the supreme court bench that goes against my political preferences that they are kept in check so this works for everyone and as the late justice scalia said you know an excess of legislation and the difficulties of passing good legislation is a design. It's not a bug in the system. It is a feature. Government should be difficult. Government should be hard. We should never have one branch or one tyrant that is able to unilaterally impose their will on the rest of the American people. If we are functioning as an American society under the U.S. Constitution as a model for a constitutional republic, and I truly believe that that is the greatest document ever written to govern a society, and it is the best way to deal with man's sinful bent to be tyrants and to crave more power, then we have to make sure that we are protecting and preserving that Constitution, and we are limiting Our system of government and so what happens when we have a runaway government well I'm very happy that the Supreme Court does take up issues of what the government can and can't do those two political branches one of the best examples recently was the OSHA vaccine mandate case Uh, it is absolutely unconstitutional meaning not just that I disagree with it as a policy decision but that the executive branch the HHS Joe Biden's agencies. Nobody has power to forcibly compel an American citizen to take an experimental medication or suffer consequences that are imposed by the government. And this includes small businesses and all of the things that was were being discussed by that mandate. That if you don't take an experimental medication then you will lose your job. You'll have to close your business, close your church, all of those things. And so the government can't in that sense. They have no power under Article 2 in the executive to exercise compelling American citizens to conform to what they think is best. And isn't that a great thing? So the Supreme Court took up that case and said no. You can't. What they didn't say and what they didn't comment on was whether or not they think that the vaccine is a good thing or it's a good decision for anybody. Now, for those of you who have followed me on social media, you'll know I have never expressed whether or not I'm vaccinated because I believe that that is a personal decision. And it's also a health decision that nobody has a right to know. It is a personal decision. It is not one for the government to mandate. So when we are looking at these types of cases these types of policy considerations always separate the distinction is it constitutional is it unconstitutional i'm jenna ellis you're listening to jenna ellis in the morning we'll be right back with more top headlines and taking your calls if you want to call in 888-589-8840 i'm jenna ellis we'll be right back
3: To sharpen the biblical worldview of Christians and to share the good news of Jesus Christ. That is the mission of the Christian Worldview Radio program. I'm host David Wheaton, inviting you to join us this Saturday morning at 9 Eastern, 8 Central, as we discuss all matters of life and faith from a decidedly biblical perspective. The Christian Worldview, Saturday mornings at 9 Eastern, 8 Central, right here on American Family Radio.
4: Is something missing in your spiritual life since you stopped going to church? Jesus never intended for us to live the Christian life alone. He wants us to be a part of a spiritual family of believers. Maybe you stopped going to church because you got hurt or disillusioned. Maybe you got offended or busy or maybe sin got a foothold in your life. Perhaps COVID made you stop. Whatever the reason, isn't it time you started going again? I'm Pastor John Miller. Visit me at churchontherock.org. Therefore, a man shall leave his
3: father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. With this statement, Jesus affirmed what he'd already said in Genesis 1 and 2 and defined marriage for all time. Contrary to the protestations of the nouveau critical theorists, the nuclear family consisting of a married father and mother is not a Western sociological prescription or construct. Marriage did not originate in the West. Its origin isn't suburban America. It started in Genesis, in the Garden of Eden. Marriage is God's idea. Therefore, He alone defines it. If you don't like it, your problem is with God, not me.
0: Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. If you are 65 or older, you know this. Watching your hard earned dollars fly out the window on healthcare costs is so frustrating. But here's some great news. If you miss the December 7th deadline for open enrollment, it's not too late. Here's something that can really help. It's Metashare 65. Metashare is a community of Christians who share each other's healthcare bills people who encourage and pray for each other too. MediShare 65 plus is a low cost option for those with Medicare parts A and B, and it fills in the gaps where Medicare stops. It's a great way to fight inflation too. You can lock in one low monthly price for up to 10 years. Plus, it's easy. You can use any Medicare-approved doctor or get 24-7 telehealth access from the comfort of your home. So worth looking into. MediShare 65 Plus is open for enrollment, and if you join right now, before January 31st, your second month will be free. So don't miss this chance. Call 833-45-BIBLE. That's 833-45-BIBLE. 833-45-BIBLE. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio.
1: Hello, friends, and welcome to Jenna Ellis in the Morning. We are talking about your uh, top trending headlines this morning. Of course, the uh, biggest headline out of Washington is that Speaker McCarthy was able to get a Republican consensus to uh, push forward that rules package and also the legislation that will defund the 87,000 IRS agents. And so I spoke with uh, Congressman Chip Roy in the beginning of the program. If you missed that, always go back and listen to the podcast. Cast Version of this show at afr.net. You can click on the icon for Jenna Ellis in the morning. And a couple of additional headlines uh, for you this morning. Uh, there was a CBS News YouGov poll published yesterday that showed 71% of Americans said they feel either scared or angry about the direction of the country. The smallest amount, 11%, said they were excited about things in the United States over the next year. You have to wonder, what is the 11% saying? Well, maybe they're a little bit more optimistic because of the Republican majority. I don't know. Uh, But, you know, we always have to, as Christians, take stock at the beginning of the year of where we have come and how God has brought us this far. And... Uh, In my journalism classes uh, in college, that was my major in journalism, I attended the uh, World Journalism Institute uh, series and, and that class. And one of my professors there told me something I'll never forget, which he said that journalism is recording God's movements throughout history. And I loved that description because that always reminded me that even if the news is bad, and I'm not talking about the fake news and the bias and the spin, I'm talking about genuine Uh, happenings going on in our world and in our society. And the truth of reality is that people are still getting saved every day. We are still changing hearts and minds and fulfilling the Great Commission. And so we can have hope even if we are one of those uh, 71% of Americans that feel scared or angry about the direction of the country. We have to remember that our hope is always In our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now that doesn't mean that we just forget about society and culture or we step back and say, my citizenship is in heaven and therefore it doesn't matter what happens here on earth. Well, no, the Bible tells us that we need to be good stewards and also good citizens of our society. And that's why... Politics matters, and it matters how we engage in society, how we best preserve and protect the blessings of liberty that uh, were given by God through our founding fathers. I am so grateful every day to wake up in America, even though there are a lot of people in government in Washington that are trying to tear down those blessings of liberty and there are a lot of things to be concerned about, we cannot ever give up hope because hope is not just wishful thinking. It's not just pixie dust and fairy tales. Hope, according to the Bible, is a patient expectation for God to fulfill his promises to us. We can have hope because we know that Christ will always be true to his word. He will be faithful because he is the same yesterday, today and forever and so we need to take that wonderful blessing of hope and we need to exercise that in our daily lives in our professions and also in our stewardship of our great nation so let's go to the phone call uh the phone lines this morning for all of you wanting to call in that number is 888-589-8840 i'm jenna ellis you're listening to jenna ellis in the morning let's go to shirley from tennessee good morning shirley
6: Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. I uh, had a few comments here, one being that I don't have a lot of hope that these Republicans are going to do anything that that man who spoke a while ago said that they will. Uh, They've got a track record of telling us that they're going to do this and they're going to do that. Put us in office. Put this person as the lead. And then when they get there, they don't fulfill it. So we'll have to wait and see on that when the jury's out. As far as these vaxes are concerned, I've always I, I personally felt like a, it was a scam. I didn't like the fact that Trump brought it in and calls it the Trump scene. I didn't like the fact that Biden claims credit for it. So it's like. We got two parties here that are on the same side, on not only the Vax, but a lot of other issues. So I'm having issues with that. My condolences to Diamond and Silk. I love them, and my prayers for America. And just remember, I pledge allegiance to the Lamb with all my strength and all I am. I will seek to honor His command. I pledge allegiance to the Lamb. Everybody should listen to that song, because that tells the truth. That's Ray Both. God bless you all, and we'll just hang in there and see how the year goes, and trust in the Lord.
1: God bless you, Shirley. What wonderful comments, and I love uh, I Ray Bold as well. Those are some great songs, and you know, my, my dad, all growing up, used to uh, every Sunday morning play Maranatha Praise Band, and I know that's dating me and him a little bit, because uh, those are the, the really, as they call them, uh, my parents call them the oldies but goodies, and some of those songs that we still sing in church today and some of those amazing hymns that uh, really do express the hope that we have in Christ. And, you know, a lot of your comments, I I agree with that. And I know a lot of people are frustrated that uh, President Trump pushed the vaccine. And uh, the distinction there that I always want to point out is that he was never for mandates. And um, I am one that in the very beginning when not, you know, a lot of us didn't know anything about COVID. We didn't know about the situation. A lot of us were very rightly skeptical of anything that the government was doing. Um, Dr. Fauci, Dr. Burke, and we were right. Uh, But to have that available versus mandating it, I think, is the distinction. Um, Because for some people who will say that the vaccine helped them or ultimately saved their lives. That's between them and their doctor. Those are genuinely medical decisions that each individual does have the free will and the free choice in this country to make. And so I'm not going to suggest for one person that um, they should or should not take that. What I am going to say is that the government under the Constitution does not have the authority ever to mandate that for anyone. Um, so great comment, Shirley, and thank you so much for your heart for the Lord. Uh, let's go to Jerry from Texas. Good morning, Jerry. How are you?
3: Good morning, sister. Good, good. Uh, I, uh, like most, and glad that you're on. hate to see Sandy go, but they did really good in choosing you. It uplifts my children. We homeschool one of ours. Great. Um, give a real quick two things. For those, as you stated, that would say, hey, this enemy's cheating, shouldn't we cheat as well? For the true Christian believer, we know that's not true. Um, Frank Turek, who you can hear on the app on this station, did a really good podcast this weekend with Mr. Ferrer on that very topic. So I would uh, suggest anybody go and listen to that. Very good. Explains why cheating and when to cheat and how God looks at it. Um, And then my fifth grader, Third grader and seventh grader have all taken the constitutional live course through Rick Green. And they all understand that the the legislative branch is the weakest branch in the Constitution. And I can't understand why Americans don't take the time to just read the Constitution or take a class that's free to understand what the government actually has rights and responsibilities to do. The next weakest is the executive. All of the power lies within the, the – the, I'm sorry, the judicial branch is the weakest. The legislative branch has all the power, and those are the people that we need to be calling and praying for. It's not that difficult to understand. Um, we as Christians should always pray for our legislators, even in the local ones, and then we need to be, as parents, commissioned by God, teaching our children and involved in our children's lives, Thank you, sister, for all that you do. I am very appreciative for the people you've had on the show already, um, all of the legislators that you've had. Uh, it's been a pleasure listening to them. We're praying for them and for you. And we, we just listen with due diligence to the station, and we love all that you do. You have a blessed day, sister.
1: Thank you so much, Jerry. I so appreciate your prayers, and this is a great Uh, inheritance from Sandy. And she has started her podcast this week. I love listening to her too. And it's great to follow in her footsteps on uh, American Family Radio and be with you all every morning. And you're so right, Jerry, that uh, if we just looked at the U.S. Constitution and just understood it in context, there are a variety of great resources out there. I first started learning about the Constitution in homeschool as well. And I took an online course uh, from the homeschool legal Defense. Association. And that really helped me start understanding the American system of government in context. And so I applaud you for choosing homeschooling. I think that uh, parents being mentors, regardless of uh, how you educate your children, parents discipling and mentoring children is the greatest gift that parents can bestow on children. And that was the greatest gift that my parents gave to me. And they're uh, both my parents are still my best friends because um, I grew up, understanding that I was being discipled and mentored by them uh, through homeschooling. And one of the greatest things that my mom did as well was going through world history chronologically rather than just units how a lot of schools do where you learn in disjointed uh, pieces. And so you don't have a broad view of the scope of human history and the scope of God's movements throughout world history. And so uh, th- seeing how we went through major civilization starting with creation in the Bible and then going through all the major civilizations. By the time we got to America, then I understood what our founders wanted in terms of religious liberty and coming out from under this whole scope of uh, the English monarchy and, and the kings and the Middle Ages and all of those things. And so understanding American history in context is so important that this wasn't just, you know, a bunch of farmers and torch-building villagers that suddenly had the most brilliant idea in terms of of government throughout uh, world history. They were lawyers. They were statesmen. They were pastors. And importantly, they came from a system that they understood was flawed. They recognized who their ultimate source of authority is, and that is God himself. And that's why my favorite line in the declaration is at the end, when the founders are talking about their firm reliance on divine providence, they call the courtroom of the world and the ultimate judge, the supreme judge of the world. And I just, I love that name for God because they understood that ultimately we all We all are under the authority of God, regardless of what government system tries to infringe on our rights. So thank you so much, Jerry, and um, thank you to your kids as well for listening. It's great that as parents, um, you have kids that are listening to good biblical content and continue to uh, train up children in the way they should go. And uh, I just love that. So let's go to Gail from Texas. Gail, good morning, and thanks so much for calling in.
6: Hi Jenna, thank you so much. Um, would you weigh in on the Supreme Court ruling regarding the COVID vaccine for employees of the facilities? I think that participated in, are participating in Medicare and Medicaid, versus their decision that you spoke about earlier, just the general population.
1: Yes, that's a great question, Gail, and a lot of people um, really didn't see that distinction. And so what happened in those two uh, parallel cases that the Supreme Court uh, took up, one, of course, was the OSHA mandate that dealt with individuals and uh, dealt with private uh, businesses that were uh, 100 employees or more. And what the Supreme Court found was that there was no authority that OSHA as a health and safety uh, division could under the auspices or the pretext of health and safety uh, implement this type of mandate. But what they found in the context of Medicare and Medicaid for uh, those particular businesses, mainly the healthcare industry that does take Medicare and Medicaid, because that is part of the federal government's disbursement, then under that uh, under that, uh, auspices under medicare and medicaid then the government the federal government does have authority to put conditions on their payouts for Medicare and Medicaid. So I think that the Supreme Court, um, unfortunately, how they parsed that was correct in terms of allowing the government to say, if you are going to benefit from federal programs, we can condition that. And they went through and they talked about the statutory distinctions. And and so basically the bottom line is if, uh, just like how the states take so much money from the federal government, That is then conditioned on what the federal government wants to do to the states and the states are giving over their sovereignty to the federal government because they're taking a payout. Well, in the same way, people and hospitals who benefit from Medicare and Medicaid are now under the conditions that the federal government imposes on those payouts. And so I think the lesson here. Um, for a lot of us, is to not only see that distinction, but recognize that this is why it is very good to not be beholden to the government, uh, to the federal government in terms of payouts. I know that a lot of people need to be on Medicare and Medicaid for different reasons, but realize that if you are taking a payout from the federal government, whether um, it's a state or it's a private individual or it's a healthcare organization, that's going to come with strings attached. And so where the Supreme Court... Uh, weighed in on that, I think, was uh, an appropriate legal distinction. But that's a great question, Gail, um, that a lot of people didn't see and thought that it was just negative on healthcare workers. And it does seem a little bit odd that uh, healthcare workers who should know the best uh, about health and that's their expertise can't decide for themselves. But the reason is because it was attached to a federal government payout. So uh, that is already all of the time that we have today on Jenna Ellis in the Morning. I'm so sorry for uh, all of those who called in that we didn't get to, but hopefully we will take more of your calls tomorrow. So Jamie, Joe, Marcos, Swain, others um, who have called in, thank you so much. And we will take your calls tomorrow. And please tune in right here at Jenna Ellis in the Morning. I'm Jenna Ellis, and I will talk with you tomorrow. Have a wonderful, wonderful day.